0: You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force special operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller.
1: Hey everybody, and welcome back to another Ones Ready Podcast. Uh, Strap in go ahead and subscribe. This one's going to be awesome. Today, we're going to be talking about cross-training, sister service people coming over, all that kind of good stuff. And as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for leaving the comments. Um, we're not like cool where we don't go in there and look at, look at the comments. We go and look at the comments. We try to answer your questions and all that other kind of stuff because we care about you uh, and answering your questions and getting you all the information you need to, to be in the Air Force, to be part of the greatest uh, force in the entire world and uh, make your life something more than what it is right now. That sounded arrogant. Tripp Tri- sounds what it is. like he's
2: a little soft today. Man, what happened? Did you I have got- like
1: <laughs> Did you have like a night where you got like some
2: some extra emotionality in there? I dig it, man. Look at you. I'm, I'm trying to be nice today,
1: man. Yeah, goodness I'm enthusiastic, gracious. right? Anyway, uh, let's get going on this. So we have with us today Matt Gan. He's the one that runs the entire Cross trainee Sister Service People coming over program, um, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, bro, like tell us a little bit about yourself or, or what it is that you do. Yeah, so my, I'm Master my Sergeant Dan. I work
3: for a recruiting service, uh, namely the 330th recruiting squadron. I'm stationed down at Herbert Field, Florida at the Special Tactics Training Squadron. Um, I live within the, uh, the recruiting assessment selection cell down there. My, my main goal or my main purpose in this job is I, uh, I handle all the prior service applicants who submit packages to come over to the Air Force uh, from sister services or our Guard and Reserve components. I also uh, manage the program for any civilians who come into these those crows or techios, And then day to day, I kind of, uh, I guess I could say I kind of serve as an information booth, you know, for anybody looking to cross train into SW, I can kind of help advise them on the, the retraining process because uh, it can be a little daunting for those who have never done it, especially when you're trying to come into some of these critically command career fields. And I've been in recruiting about almost 14 years. So I know a little bit about the processes. So if, uh, yeah, a Yeah. I've, I've been in, I've been in eighteen and fourteen of those have been in recruiting. So it's holy uh, oh the uh, cow, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah Dang. exactly.
3: So it's not one of the it's not the path I thought I was gonna go when I came in the Air Force.
2: What'd you um, uh, what'd you come in for first? If you what was that first four years?
3: I was in I was an aerial reporter, so I basically loaded okay. uh, yeah, yeah. JIs, loaded cargo, sent a lot of you guys overseas. Yeah. So uh, that's what I did. And uh, here I am today uh, working at SDTS.
4: Nice. Right, so that is a super long time. Like we just said to, to be doing this job. So you see a lot of people mostly coming over from sister services. Uh, I know personally I had a couple guys that were a Ranger or Marine recon that are on my team and stuff. Um, what were some of the jobs that you see people cross chain over from and what is the main reason that you kind of see these guys coming over to the Air Force?
3: Um, I see a lot of army guys. That's probably our biggest, uh, a lot of guys come over from prior army, uh, we had one guy who applied for uh, for Crow and Tech PO who was a prior eighteen Delta. Uh, we see a lot of this, this across the Army though. I've, I've seen a variety of MOSs. Nothing really locked into certain specific. Uh, some eleven Bravo, some infantry guys come over uh, from the Air Force. I've seen guys who were um, a lot of security forces. Uh, you, it's kind of I would say more security forces from the Air Force retraining um, or prior service applicants. Uh, and I know Navy. this is
2: going to be it. I know this is going to be a thing where people immediately are like, yeah, because security forces sucks. No, it's just because that's the biggest career field in the Air Force. Like, in case you guys don't know, like the AFSC of security forces, it has the most people. So, of course, the pool is the biggest. So, you see a lot of cops yeah. come on. We, we all have had, you know, prior service uh, cops working on our teams before. Mm-hmm. It's also because security forces mm-hmm. isn't nearly as cool as being a paradise <laughs> or, or, you know, any of the other Oh, oh boy. You went
3: there. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there we
2: I'm kidding. <laughs>
4: Yeah, because they washed out and they got tired of How checking uh, ID you. cards. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, of course. I, I will say.
2: You guys
0: are, you guys are spitting hot fire.
2: Today. I will say, no oh, animosity, but I will say a funny joke. And I heard this from the senior enlisted advisor to the Joint Chiefs. One Chief Master Sergeant, uh, Colon Ooh. Lopez, once said, listen, if you don't make it through the pipeline, you're going to be an outstanding airman. You might be outstanding by a gate. You may be outstanding by a plane, <laughs> You might be outstanding on the flight line by yourself. <laughs> but you're going to be outstanding. Hey, that's you gotta pick 20. that name up off the floor.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually had a kid. I recruited for PJ, and uh, he was cross-trained into uh, security forces. Um, yeah, so that's, <laughs> uh, there's really no set mold that I've seen. Uh, there's been guys who were maintenance guys. Uh, it, there's really been no niche of any MOS or FSC. To, it's kind of it kind of runs the gamut. But security forces really jumps out at me though.
4: Is there any specific reason that you uh, that they tell you they come over to the Air Force? Like they see the ads for the nice hotels, the five star hotels, or something? I don't know. Uh,
3: some of them, most of the ones who have come over, have been because they've been deployed with some of our operators, and they didn't they weren't aware that the Air Force had you know special warfare. It really, it's not one of those things that uh, it could be the quiet professional you know that we have. But it's um, it's nothing really that jumps out. It's mainly from them working with our guys over in the AORs. And seeing what they do day to day, and they didn't even realize that we had it. Um, of course, you do get a few that, you know, have been in the Army 10 years, and they've seen the Air Force lifestyle, I and mean, they know they're going to get treated a little bit better, you know, quality of life type of thing. But a lot of it comes from those guys who have who have worked with you guys over there in your seats. Well,
0: that's people in the Air Force in general. I mean, I run into mm-hmm. people all the time, and I was even at the Senior NCO Academy, and I got asked, like, hey, what are you? Why, why are your boots <laughs> bloused? Or why, in blues, do you have boots on and why are they blouse and what is that beret? That, yeah, that's right. the
2: craziest. I, I love it when like Air Force people don't understand like Air Force airmen are just like, yeah, we don't really understand uh, what it is that you do or we didn't even know that existed. So exactly, it, it, it happens to me every once in a while, too. So but yeah, that's why we're here. That's why we're out here talking about it.
3: How mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, grinding.
0: So uh, as you, you know, deal with all these prior service and cross trainees and stuff, what are some of the common misconceptions that they come
3: across with? uh one of the common things is they think it's because they were prior service they can just apply and get in they don't they're not they don't understand the the process of going through the cfm to get approved they, they they put their package in uh and i can talk about the things that go in their packages here in a minute but uh they think they pass the pass test and that's just it they're just waiting for somebody to say okay here's your date to go to down to Laclan for ANS and it's a lot more, a lot more goes into that. Our prior service guys also have to be recommended by the T3I developer, you know, as a as a go. You know, that they're assigned going to send some guy who passes the fast test down there. They're gonna make sure they're mentally and physically prepared for what they're about to go through. That's uh, one of the big misconceptions. And and another huge misconception is the time. Uh, a lot of things. Once just because they get approved by their their CFM for whatever career field they're going into, that okay, I'm I'll be out of here in a couple of weeks um, the the prior service process we're trying to streamline it but it, there's really no set timetable because a lot of the layers above just getting approved has to go through uh, half it has to get uh, go to ATC has to get assigned to class by second Air Force and all those times all the time that takes can be a little uh, uh, little longer than they anticipated
0: Now, I, I expect that this is kind of in your lane but you may may not know the answer to it and um we get this question a lot, especially from the cross trainees. Is they get frustrated about the amount of slots that are opened up? Do you have mm-hmm. any insight into that? Of of why um, you know certain yeah. slots get opened up on a mm-hmm. cycle, and
3: then other times they don't at all. I, it, I, I really don't know the answer to that. What I can say is that as far as prior service, like recruiting services, capped at a certain number of prior service slots per year. Uh, I think this for the next upcoming F one and a couple after that. I believe that they're capped at fifty. So 50 slots across the Air Force. The good thing about that is special warfare and combat support positions do not have a cap. So if you know the Air Force is gonna take 50 prior service people, that's across the board, that's security forces, maintenance, whatever the case may be, with special warfare and combat support, there's no, there's no cap. Oh, wow, so, so there, just,
2: there's we, only 50 spots, wide, like Air Force-wide. You're talking about for all Air Force-wide. Yeah, okay, cool, yeah. except for special warfare and then the combat support rules, okay. Right. Okay so you
0: folks you folks that are out there listen to this and you think hey I'm going to go enlist do a normal job and then I'm gonna cross train over you just heard it from his own mouth say that there are 50 slots or you know at, at any given time for the entire air force right and and air force special warfare is not given you know priority on any of those Right, we are only allotted a certain percentage of that. So you were competing with every other person that thinks they want to cross train. right? So that is a really bad plan.
3: Sorry. Well, just to, no, just to, just to clarify, <laughs> no, there there is there is no cap for us, so we do not count in that fifty. So if we get thirty yeah. people who apply, so yeah, that was that was it's still uh, a bad some, idea though. It is, and so some of the. um some of the recruiters out there who may not be special warfare because uh, a lot of our applicants come in to see a regular recruiter first before they're referred off to a, a special warfare recruiter um some of them have been told you well, i was told there was no slots available this year there was only 50 slots so for anybody listening if you're if you're given that guidance by a regular air force recruiter who is not a soar um make sure you ask for who your special warfare uh recruiter for that area is because they will give you uh they'll put you in touch with that region special warfare prior service recruiter
0: yeah. Awesome. Well, appreciate that. I got that one wrong. It's I okay. I own yeah, that, that one. That
3: was, I, mean, I, I that own that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll fix oh. it in post. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, leave it in there. I make mistakes all the time, yeah. every day. So
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh Donovan, you you know that I'm a I'm a cross trainee as well, and, and I started my mm-hmm. own process, but especially now, like telling the telling everybody where to start. So that you know, when I get DMs and people are like, hey, you know, I know you cross train. What's what should I be doing? I always tell them the very first thing you need to do is you need to figure out what's your retraining window, and then go talk to retraining. Go talk to your enlisted mm-hmm. assignments and assessments people. Can you? I know there have been some changes to the amount of time you can, you have to take inside of another mm-hmm. career field before you can cross train. Can you speak to that a little bit?
3: A little bit. Um, there's a memorandum out there uh, that's signed by all the CFMs from the Pentagon, basically stating that if you are for your retraining window you, you don't have to meet that anymore so if you're a a six-year staff sergeant you can apply for special warfare combat support with it with, without it had, affecting you or having to wait on your retraining window so if you know, you get to your first base. I think the big catch is you have to meet your time on station requirements to apply. So if you just PCS in from another base, you're going to have to be there for your allotted time on station. But you don't have to wait for that. You know, if you're a four year enlistee, wait for that fourth year to apply. Six year enlistee, wait for that fifth, sixth year to apply. You can apply early, or if you get, you know, if you're a career airman, you can. You don't have you don't have a retraining window when it comes to these career fields. Is what I'm getting at. Uh, the big when thing that- you need to look at. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the big thing to look at is your rank. You know, you don't want to rank yourself out and, and applying for this. Uh, most of the CFM career functional managers aren't going to take somebody who's maybe a senior tech a senior E6, because you guys know how your team time and all that works. So your, your wheelhouse really needs to be senior airman to staff. If you're looking to retrain into this, uh, I've seen an exception. We, uh, took a prior service guy and this is not a retrainee, but a prior service guy who was an E7. I don't think he made it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and um, and then we also, I've seen like a baby E6, a who had, who wasn't eligible for E7 yet, you know, allowed, they allowed him, but I think he had some skill sets in his application that kind of helped him, uh, would help him in the fight one, so uh, yeah. you're looking at E4, E5, that's what you need to be looking at. Got
2: it. And we, uh, we get a lot of questions from other people and other services as well. Can you talk a little bit about how they start their process? Do they need to be a Mm -hmm. year out from their contract? Who can they contact for, you know, those, those green to blue or or blue to green, or, you know, those, those accessions you know, gold to green or green to blue or whatever it is that we're calling these It's really, it's
3: a little, it's a little different with these guys. Um, they don't have to be within a certain timeframe. The big thing from sister service applicants is you need an approved DD form 368, a conditional release. Uh, I've got a guy who's applying right now, he's got three years left in his army contract. Uh, He's gonna sign 368. Uh, That basically, and I would caution sister service applicants also to make sure you're getting the appropriate level uh, of authority signing off on that. You just can't be like your squadron commander, unit commander. Sometimes that has to go all the way up uh, to their higher headquarters to get approved. So the 368 is kind of like your get out of jail free card. Uh, yeah. that, um, <laughs> get out of the army, army, army free card. Yeah. I mean, I've, in the Marine Corps, um, I, I deal with, with Trent a lot about some SR, some guys won't come over SR. Uh, the 368 is a huge thing. And the Marine Corps seems to be the most stingy uh, with letting some of these guys go. Cause some of them are coming from Mars or recon and uh, they're not willing to let their talent go. Um, but the 368 is where it all starts. Without that, they can't do anything.
4: Hmm. Okay. Just follow hey. up on my end because I get a lot of questions from guys that just finished and they either SIE'd or they had some kind of injury or something like that. They retrain. They're like, I can't wait to go back. We used to tell guys a year and a half, um, you know, a couple of years ago when I was an end dog instructor, But I know that's changed. Is there like a average? Cause I know they're floating around the idea of like fulfill half of your contract and then you can come back into whatever your contract is. Is there any hard and fast or kind I, of an average. It, yeah.
3: yeah. You're talking about somebody from another service who comes over and doesn't know somebody,
4: it somebody from uh, who came over and they failed out of selection or something like that. And they want to get back after it. What's the time timeframe? Um,
3: I, I really don't know. I know with down here in the assessments we've seen if somebody usually SIEs, uh, they're usually given a, depending upon the circumstance of everything's situational. It's so whole person based. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I would recommend if anybody SIEs, that's just going to be up to the cadre to give them a, a recommendation.
4: No, I mean, I once, they sure. get in, once they get into a different career field and they want to mm-hmm. come back.
3: Oh, okay. Um, Aaron, I, mean, I know you were retraining. I mean, how was, wow. how was your problem? I didn't wow. mean to you out like that. Wow. Hey man, you didn't yeah.
0: you didn't make it the first time, yeah, Playboy. Yeah.
3: Hey, Playboy. The <laughs> facts
2: are the facts, dog. You can get as mad as you want. The hey. facts don't care about your feelings. For me, yeah. it was it was still in that cross-training window, right? So on my 125 mm-hmm. Alpha, I was invited to come back. So it was like, hey, here's here's what happened. He's invited to come back. Um after, you know, when you get into your retraining window. I had to wait for my retraining window to open up. So at that time, I was, a, you know, a junior staff, a baby staff, and I had to go. Uh, so I, I want to say it was like it was something real weird, it was like 39 to 46 months or something, something weird mm-hmm. where I could open up and put that retraining packet in. But, of course, I had to go back to, you know, enlisted assessments and selections and, and go through the MPS, the military personnel services flight um, in order to get that packet um, forward. And then I was, you know, they looked over uh, my entire application. And at that time, we didn't have the enlisted phase two. That we have now right so it's gone through a couple different iterations where the pj phase two used to happen down at Lackland, but now we've combined all air force special warfare enlisted in phase two down at hurlberg field which may or may not be the best place in the world to work um can you talk a little bit about that uh, that assessment and selection process and and how to get so we talked about you know hey you, you file your packet you get everything ready to go you're approved by your career field manager you get your spot what's the timeline like in between okay Soup to nuts, cool. You're good. We're gonna we're gonna invite you down. Um, how long do they usually have to wait before they get to that phase two?
3: Uh, usually, it's been three to six months. You know, COVID kind of threw a wrench in everything, and and with retraining, like the phase two assessment, uh, there's some changes going on with that. Uh, it's it's not official, so I won't. I, what I'm giving you now is is not official guidance yet. Um, there's major talk about it moving down to Lackland now, and some other coas are going to be put in place for phase two, so to say um when we would have phase two here at herbert field um you're when you get invited to phase two usually you're coming in about once you're notified usually in about three to six months depending upon how how the cycle fell and when when, and those who did not make it through phase two kind of back to the brian's question is uh typically if they did not make it through phase two and they were offered an invite back it's typically about a year a, a year lag time on that so they'll tell you to wait a year then reapply uh, to kind of go back to answer his question. But, um, yeah, so that's, you're looking at about three, six month wait or in, in time because we gotta got get cadre lined up and all the operational right. stuff that goes with it. So, uh, but with the changes happening, uh, with retraining, uh, assessment coming up, I, I might really, I know some, I've seen some slides about what they're wanting to do, but I'm not, uh, comfortable enough to speak on what the process going forward is going to be.
2: Well, uh, still, I- I'm sorry, still doing but-
3: two a year. Sorry.
2: No, I was just going to tell him he has to answer. That's our thing. We put yeah. people in really, really bad situations <laughs> where they can uh, put their career at risk. So, you know, we'll just wait. Just go ahead yeah. and answer it. Can you actually bring the email?
4: It never
3: poorly. Just bring the email. Uh, I left my laptop at the office. Uh, darn it! Um, but they uh, typically we would have two to three a year for when we were doing retrainees and Herbie. So uh, usually we did one in December. If there wasn't wasn't enough applicants, we'd roll it over to the spring assessment.
4: Is there a time frame that they have to submit a package in before that, you know, happens, or how are they going to be notified?
3: Uh, uh, they'll be notified through. Uh, if, well, they'll be notified through w- w- how we get notified was all the applications for somebody who's cross training within the Air Force. They go through my purse. Uh, I've got some slides and also the, uh, an Airman's base CAA or Chris, career assistance advisor. I would say if you're at a base and there's not an operational unit nearby or anything like that, go talk to them because they're going to advise them on the, the retraining steps because not many people retrain, so it's kind of a foreign process. Uh, they're going to go through uh, my first to submit a retraining package, but I've got some slides if you guys want to post it. It kind of breaks down what they really need to know. And another thing uh, that's important to note is uh, those going to retrain, when they go into retrain in my purse, you're going to see a chart of all the FSCs and how many slots based upon skill level and rank are there. If you do not see the number of slots, say you're a, an E5 and you're wanting to go into CCT and it says zero for your rank, that doesn't necessarily mean there's not going to be a slot there. It's just yeah the, the system hasn't updated. So still go ahead and do that. And when people get those kind of errors that kick back, that's when I would tell y'all to put them in touch with me because I can put them in direct comms with, Uh, the CFMs to uh, make sure they're not getting missed and they can work with AFPC to get a package going for them.
0: Okay, cool. I got, I've got a really easy question and uh, another easy question, actually Uh, that memo that you were talking about that was signed by the CFMs. Mm -hmm. How, how recent is that? And then the other question is, can you explain uh, just because we get this question a lot um, when people say, Hey, I SIE'd or I didn't make it and I want to return and we tell them, Hey, It depends on what your 125 alpha says because it can say do not return. How do they find out if that is in fact in their 125A?
3: They should be getting, uh, to answer your second part, they should be getting that feedback from the cadre when they leave retraining assessment. If they're not, um, they should get with their team lead they had during that to kind of wrap that up. Uh, But typically, from my experience on here, people are told, you know, if they, let's say somebody made it through the entire assessment on their, They're out processing feedback. They're going to get that from the cadre lead, Uh, so they they should know that when they leave. People who say, "Well, I didn't get any feedback," it it does happen sometimes, but typically they're they're told, you know, what to do um, as part as the the board process goes. If they SIE, they should be getting some kind of out brief as they're getting off ramp to head back to the duty station. Um, the, The memorandum you spoke of, though, that was dated in February. Uh, so that was okay. February of this, of this year. So it's a current, there's, it's the second iteration of that. There was one that was dated in 2016. It was good up until that point. And then all the CFMs got together this year and did another one uh, to clarify. And that counts yeah, also for the officers. So any, you yeah, know, I know some officers who are looking to retrain on here to go and stow, Crow tech the that also accounts for those, that memory. It, it encompasses all of those crew. Fields.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there, there's been a lot of work, uh, for everybody that's out there, a lot of work over the past few years to try to open up the floodgates, make it as easy as possible, uh, get everybody in and, and, you know, just clean up the processes a little bit. Um, uh, I think to back to Brian's question, I think if you are like a, an NPS Airman, if you go through BMT and you go through like NDOC or ANS and you wash out, you should be able to come back within two years, I think, is what, what they're doing now. Um, and then on the retraining process, if all the paperwork goes through the CFMs first. They say yes or no. And then once they say yes, then we get in touch with uh, the folks down at Hurlberg and we get them a slot for phase two, right? Just to correct. yeah, y'all recap the list. midway yeah. a little bit. Right yeah, y'all re- y'all send us the list. I say the CFM's ATC,
3: they send us the list of who's coming to uh, retraining assessment and then we work it from there. Um, my role in that is just kind of to help advise some of those having issues to get to that point.
1: It's kind of what I, the role I feel. Right. So I got two questions. And the first one, I, I want to break away from this, the, the, the processes for a little bit, because uh, I work with you on a pretty regular basis. And you're super enthusiastic. And you love bringing people in and giving them the information. I just want to know from your like your personal Air Force experience, like, why are you so I don't want to say the word enthusiastic, because that's like the recruiting term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, why are you so like enthusiastic and willing to help these people? Like what, what is it about the Air Force that that is so uh, appealing to you that you want to help bring people into the fold? I think I, being where I'm at, um, I've been with the three
3: since it stood up. So I've kind of seen all the labor pains from one being a recruiter before we had the three so I was a recruiter, a flight chief. Um, it was always like the, the, the unicorn trying to find somebody for special warfare and there was, you know, just seeing how all the pains we went through back then and we, we would spend 90% of our time to find, you know, 3% of our enlistment, you know? Um, getting down here and actually working with operators and kind of seeing day to day what you guys do and understanding it a little bit, you know. I mean, I, I could never, you know, uh, speak to what you guys do day to day, but I see what you guys go through firsthand to get to what you want to do. It's um, okay,
2: Trent can't speak to what SR does day to day either.
1: Nobody can. Well, <laughs> it's definitely the, it's the same thing. The daily life of yeah. is yeah. and it's, it's, oh just, it's
3: one of those things where. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because going to talk to a recruiter, going to even join the Air Force in general is is pretty intimidating. And so for guys who are in the Air Force trying to come in and do the things you guys do, um I, I just kind of take it upon myself. It's just a sense of self responsibility, whatever. I'm there, and a lot of people are allowing me to give you guys the right information. um I feel like I'm not doing it. Who is? You know, it's kind of as hokey as that may sound. I just want somebody to get where they need to go, and you know, it's it's just the right thing to do also, you know? So that's kind of why I, I, I like doing this. I get paid to go to work every day and help find people to go put warheads on foreheads. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, I got
1: probably the coolest job in recruiting services, but I tell people. Nice. No, that, that's awesome. And then, uh, you know, next question, kind of back into the, the, the world of, of what we've been talking about. What are, do you see any common denominators for successful candidates, candidates that get picked up through the paperwork process and then also through phase two?
3: Uh yeah, I mean a lot of people um they're they're self stars and they're 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 stubborn as hell. I mean I get phone calls and emails from people constantly over and over again because they're they're just so eager to get there, so eagerness. You know they they don't have a you know the why how do I get to yes type mentality. Um, that's that's the common thing. Uh, people who don't want to quit. I mean there's guys who have who have been offered you know do not reapply, do not invite, and they're still wanting to reapply. Like they almost think like, are they really messing with me? Are they, can I really not reapply? But it's telling me that the reapply reapplied. Is, I mean, is this a test? You're, you told yeah, me it's, no. It's, no, it's a a always, test. it's always
4: a it's test. It's yeah. I mean, so like you the just tell club me, you know, when the, the guy's trying to get in there and he's like, you're too fat, go away. You're too they, push fat away. You the broom. Like, they just want him to keep on trying. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the big thing I see is just to have that, that, that this cliche as it is, that no quit attitude. I mean, that's just the, the common denominator. When I review their packages, as part of their package, either for going officer or as a retraining, they've got to write a narrative on why they want to do it. Um, the common theme I see is you don't see a lot of eyes in there. It's all team oriented. They're wanting to help the team. It's not about them. Uh, something bigger than themselves. That, those are common themes of, of people I see or packages that I see. Is, it's not about them. It's just them wanting to get after a mission and, and help the guy to the left and the right.
4: Yeah. I think that's a huge factor in whether or not you're going to be successful overall, both what you just said and, you know, just figuring out how am I going to get to that next step? Because you can go back and rewind, you know, 20 minutes. And we talked a lot of acronyms and a lot of forms and a lot of different things that you have to kind of hoops that you got to jump through in order to figure out this whole process. Um, and it's those guys that are just going to keep on. All right, what's the next step? I got this uh, 125 mm-hmm. alpha or whatever. What's the next step? What's the next step? You know, just keep on pushing because, Um, It's the same with a lot of processes, and I know um, it's difficult for guys to navigate, and it's frustrating, and it's not not fun to do paperwork because we're not paperwork-loving people. Anybody who's going to be interested in spec war, for the most part, unless you're like an academy dude or something like that. But
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) – Where are those rings at? It's (laughs) it's getting through.
4: um, I'm a 12-grad.
2: I'm a 12-grad.
4: These guys are just knocking the
2: rings right now. Ow. Listening to this podcast, um, so no,
0: they, they are not listening to us. And uh, listen,
2: <laughs> they're out on their yachts. They're out there <laughs> spending that old money that they came from on their boats,
4: uh, hanging out with the general. Um,
2: so you have to jump
4: through a lot of hoops in order to figure this whole process out, and that's kind of you know. I'm sorry to say part of it because you have to figure out how, what you need to do and to get to that point. And then you know, that's barring all the injuries or whatever other past things you have as you're trying to get over. Cause I get emails from those guys all, all the time. Um, so just kind of switching back a little bit to some of the past stuff and physical activity type of stuff. Um, At what point would they take a pass test and what do you expect to see from, you know, prior service guys? Is there a different standard or something that uh, you kind of weigh a little more or less based on what their physical attributes are?
3: I mean they're the pass test, they're the standard the CFMs are looking for, they're looking, you know, for exceeding the standard. I mean, if you're one of the guys coming in right at a 10, 20 mile and a half, I mean, you're you're on your bu- on the bubble on the minimums, there, you're probably not gonna get, get a nod. Um, they need to be crushing the pass test. Now, when they will go to take that test, I, I typically would advise them to submit a pass test within 30 days of when they're submitting their application to the CFM. We don't want anything six months old. Uh, Another thing with a pass test, I get a lot of questions about who can give me my pass test if you're a retrainee. If you're a prior service guy, you'll get that given figure developer in your source. So that's just to alleviate that concern for people who are prior service. It will go through your special warfare recruiter uh, and and the field developer. Uh, For retrainees, technically, a supervisor or a commander, PTL, can give the pass test for a retrainee. However, I would advise if you're near uh, a unit, have an operator give it to you. A, a lot of operators, get like, somebody calls them up, hey, I need to get a pass test done for a retraining package. Some guys I work with love doing them, some guys I work with hate doing them. But you're you're not gonna cheat yourself uh, by having an operator give it to you. Sometimes we've seen people come to retraining and, and fail the pass test day one, you know, and it was given by their supervisor and they're not gonna be strict on form. I mean, your cows and your swim are a little different, but you can't you can't cheat on your run and your swim, but uh, a lot of PTLs and supervisors I've seen not do their their any favors by giving it. So if you have to make a two hour drive to from, to Pope from another base, take that drive, you know, and get it done because um, I think it'll, it'll you're not cheating yourself by having uh, an operator give it to you.
0: No, I think that's exactly right. I just gave a pass test to a a uh, he's an SF or a, a security forces officer. Going to be a crow happens to be on McDill. Hit me up, and I went and gave him the pass. I think I think when guys get frustrated doing that, it's because somebody will say, "Hey, I want to take the pass," and they've never actually put in the work to ensure that they are ready, are truly ready. Or like I've tested a couple people that you know they say, "Hey, I'm I'm ready. I'm good to go," and then they start failing the pass tests, and it turns out that they would do one event at a time. They've never done do it all button.
2: back to back. Right. They've and, never run the event at right. game speed, man. I saw that so many times I gave one of the most disheartening pass that I ever gave. I was like two events in and immediately I was like, you're you've already failed. Like in my head, I, I didn't say it to him. I'm not this mean to actual people in real life, but I was like, you know, you, you've already failed. There's, there's no point to keep this going. But I was like, let's, let's check your numbers out. We get done. And in the debrief, I was like, just explain to me how it is that we got here. I said, you didn't, you didn't perform up to standard. These are the standards. What's up. And he, and he told me straight up, he's just like, I've never done all the events back to back in a single session. I didn't know, you know, how much my swim was going to suffer, how much my push ups were going to suffer, how that, uh, you know, all those things played in. So guys, gals, if you're listening out there and we're talking past tests right now, run the pass test at game speed all together like it's not a secret we can get you the times that you have rest in between events we can tell you what the standards are we can tell you you know top and bottom limits for where you should be you need probably once a month maybe even more than that if you're close you need to be running that pass test at game speed as you're going to do it because when you when you get in there and you're you're you know, set to perform in front of one of these spec war operators we're going to hold you to the standard
3: and it's going to be tough And I would also add, you know, with with the pass test, when people are submitting their packages, they need to understand that's going to be the easiest thing they do physically. Um, And I would, I I recommend to people i talk to on my phone, like, you know, I'm I'm right here, I'm close to my run. And I was like, that's great, dude. I said, but you need to be able to pass that pass test. Let's say you get smoked all day. And then they say, oh, the last thing they were going to pass test. You need to be able to pass that after you're, you know, you kind of get your, yeah, kind of to you a little bit. You yeah. Say it oh, that, darn it. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. excited. I was like where do you say?
0: <laughs> and that's what we tell people. I mean, if if you want to gauge where you're ready, like we we hear a lot of hey, what are the grad standards? Guess what? There aren't any grad standards anymore, right? But if you want to gauge if you're ready, then and and this is just, you know, peaches talking, you should be able I should be able to go, "Hey, Aaron, you're going to run a pass test. You've got 2 hours notice." And I don't care what you've done today. You better go out there and you better meet the
2: minimums. And oh, by the way, that's not a pipeline thing. That is a world thing. If you get Mm -hmm. into these career fields, I can walk into my team room at any time and I can be like, hey, guys, grab your stuff. We're going on an evaluated run. Like that's that's what we are like it. it, And, you know, Donovan, that was that was an awesome, awesome way to put it. Like that's the the past test is kind of like the easiest thing that you're ever going to do. It never stops. Somebody's going to walk into your team room. It's going to happen in your career. You're going to get your beret and you're going to, you're going to think you made it. And your team sergeant just going to walk in that room and be like, grab your ruck. This is an evaluated event. We're gone. And that's how it's going well, to happen. Well, not just
0: that. It could, it could be operational too. You yeah.
2: just never know. You're in the, yeah. you're
0: on the Stairmaster doing like a nine eleven tribute freaking oh. stairs. And then all of a sudden the bell goes off and you're
2: freaking, you got to roll. Quick you story know, about, just, it happens. Yeah. Quick story about how old I am. So I was in Iraq on a deployment and it was long enough ago that I had a pager and when the pager hit yeah. all nines, that was the, that was the, you know, you're done, you're sprinting, like something happened. I literally, I was uh, squatting and I I had just gotten done squatting 315 for my fourth set of eight. <clears throat> I put it, uh, I put the rack on, I hit it, the pager beeps and I was like, okay, it's probably like whatever I looked, and it was all nines. I was trying spr- <laughs> <laughs> lifters. Like I'm just grabbing things and trying to go back to make this thing. So, um, you know, you, you never know when that call is going to come. And in the past test, like the only time that you're going to be able to prepare for these events really is leading up to when you put that beret on and you go operational. Cause after that it's game on. Yep, I mean, yeah,
3: I, I think tell people that uh, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I just wanted to
4: throw in there. Uh, you know, you can't really hide it also whenever you get to the pipeline, you know, you, kind of practice in your own little vortex in your own little world. And you're like, I'm good to go with my past. And then you show up and you are the weakest link, especially for those guys. that are going to be cross trainees. You have to be at the front of the pack. Like, sorry, yeah, was talking about, you have to be the guy that's leading out in front because you're going to have these airmen that are supposed to look up to you and you're going to be in charge on day one. And you're going to be barking orders and doing all these admin things, lining up people and everything. And then when the, you know, shit hits the fan and you're actually supposed to perform, you're going to be the guy that's lagging behind everyone else and that's completely unsat and you're going to lose a ton of respect immediately from all the people that are you're going to be in charge of. So it's not something that you can hide and you need to be honest with yourself. That's why I say if you can find a group or somebody to work out with and just compare yourself against other people and see where you're really at, not just practicing in your own little world, mm-hmm. um, just to see where you're at because like I said, you can't hide it once everything happens and you're actually at S.
2: I actually have a, a question for Brian because you have the most experience with this. So we put such a high value on these cross trainees coming in and being leaders and leading from the front like you just talked about. Can you talk about what it does to the psyche of a team when they see one of those cross trainees quit or when they see one of them fail out?
4: We had a ton of cross trainees. We had a one team in particular I could think of where they had zero crows, they had zero leadership, and we ended up just, honestly, I put a... Uh, <laughs> One of the skinniest, but he was one of the most, the loudest and most enthusiastic guys in charge, because no one else on that team was willing to lead. And you know, I think that team got smoked more than any other team that I can think of because (laughs) they made so many
2: mistakes, and it was consistently the same. No crows, no leadership. Worst team ever. That was my same mistakes
4: over and over and over again. We're like, guys, what did we tell you yesterday? We literally smoked your guys' balls off for an hour after. After we were done, my wife was asking where I was and we're back here doing this again. Get the water hose. Let's, you know, flood (laughs) flood your mask. Get your mask. Let's go.
3: I I
2: will tell you uh, the the DO at the schoolhouse when I was in PJU because that was was exactly my team. No cops, no crows, uh, no leadership, worst team of all time. But uh, the DO, uh, now we call them ops officers. He walked out and we were in the mud pit. He goes, hey, guys, I've been here for four years. I've put three teams in this mud pit. I've put your team in this mud pit four times. Are you guys going to figure this out? And we were like, probably not. <laughs> it's <laughs> too late for us. Negative, Sergeant. We just we're like, we we just owned it too. We're like, we are terrible, man. Like, what are you going to do? Smoke us again? Okay, fine. Whatever.
0: <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to take it back. Unless you got something else, Brian, I was going to take it back. No, I just wanted to say just
4: last thing on that, that note, I think the biggest damage that it does. And for you guys that if you do mess up and you're not able to lead for a certain period of time, um, you have to recover from that your team expects you to do that, and it 's those guys that just you know they quit, they shut down and they 're like well i guess i 'll just let Airmen whatever lead us out now you 're the one that 's in charge and you 're the one that 's going to be expected to actually perform because it 's not going to end here Even if you do make it through selection you 're going to go to a team you 're going to be a staff sergeant, and guys are going to expect you to have some kind of leadership so right then, and at selection is where you need to practice your leadership uh principles and your ability to do that, you bounce back, figure it out, and continue to lead because no one was leading that team and it just kept on spiraling, spiraling. Lost a lot of guys that shouldn't have been lost. Your job as a cross trainee is to lead and bring guys as many guys through as possible. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> cool. All right. Well the uh I'm gonna lighten it a little bit, kinda how Trent did. Um get this question a fair amount too, especially from cross trainees would how many pairs of boots should dudes bring? Like in and, and the reason why I'm asking, I know, I know it's a very, very simple. Should I, it's a, should I talk like, to the recruiter? How many
2: pair of boots should I, have? I
0: know. But like a question I just got the other day is, Hey, are we allowed to wear field boots during ANS or do they need to be garrison and have that, whatever it is, five to eight inch. I don't know the AFI right. very well, but you know, like, <clears throat> Can you elaborate can on see,
3: that a little bit? I can speak to what I've seen down here. I've seen guys, you know, in regular garrison boots. And then I've also seen uh, like for rucks, you know, they have their, like their field boots, there's their morels or Solomon's or whatever the case may be. I've, I've seen both. Um, like our civilians that I've brought down here, they usually bring a pair of garrison boots and a pair of like field boots. Uh, so it's, I would say whatever guidance they're given and whatever packing list they're given is what you should bring because um, they should be getting some kind of list of things that are expected of them when they, when they show up. So I've seen it done both ways. I've seen some guys bring two pair of garrison boots and one they use strictly for rucking, you know? Um, so, you know, and then usually I believe that they bring two pair of athletic shoes as well. So that's what, that's what I've seen in, in, the, in the past done. But I would just basically say, if you have a question, ask your team lead and route it up. You know, when you're going to these things, because they're going to be the ones who get with a cadre to get you the right answer. But two pair of boots sounds, sounds accurate.
0: Yeah. And, steel, and steel don't toes? just go. <laughs> no, definitely not steel toes. <laughs> no. and, uh, <laughs> don't, don't just go out and buy a pair of boots and then show up day one having never worn them or yeah, them because you're going to pay so bad. Mm hmm. And by by blisters, if you don't know what I'm alluding right. to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a lot of people, a lot of people that haven't broken in new boots, they just, I mean, they just don't know what they don't know. And right. that's
3: uh, here's... yeah, I, you don't go. This is not this is not the time to try out something new. You know, I and mean, most people who shown up, I've seen like their field boots, or I mean, they, you can tell they've got a few miles on them. You know, they're they're broken in. You're not doing yourself any favors trying to show up being Joe Cool with a new pair of boots. It's all
2: that. <laughs> Some of the other questions that we get, especially from cross trainees, is why aren't we allowed to go to the prep program? Am I available to, to show up to development workouts and stuff? So the prep program is the is the big one first. So mm-hmm. do you foresee in the future cross trainees or prior service uh, you know guys and gals being able to go to the you know spec war prep program before they go to their ANS? Or do okay. you think that phase two is acceptable to to gauge that fitness?
3: Um, so part of that question I can so the last two groups of shippers we had in J- April and June, there were prior service shippers did go to prep. They did. Oh, okay. They, they did to go they, to prep. They did. We had two okay. iterations of ship date, a lot of that was due to COVID. Um, we had uh, the EOC course, the, the orientation course that prior service people go through when they first to get transitioned into the Air Force, get the Air Force uniforms issued and all that. There was some moving around that had to be done, and they just had the opportunity to put them through prep as a result of all the COVID madness, right? Um, we just shipped out nine people, uh, two weeks ago, week and a half ago, uh, who, who I've been told are not going through it. They stopped that. And this is what I really can't get into details on is there's some things in, in play right now that you have to get into details. You, well, you have there, to, I'm sorry, put your yeah, career at risk for us. Yeah, there's, there's some <laughs> things in play right now that's going to, I don't think it's going to be prep, but they may give some of the, the prior service, mainly cross trainees, uh, an opportunity to maybe get some prep like, uh, time, um, and, and speaking to someone uh, who's down there, uh, they're, if a retrainee comes through, uh, makes it through, let's just say they make it through phase two, and they can go down to A&S, they're, they're not going to get fed to the wolves right away. They'll put them in some sort of wing development to make sure, because they want these guys to succeed. It's just not just speaking to the walls and, and, and bumping them out if they don't make it. They're, they're trying to put measures in place to make these guys as successful as possible. Just the final co-op has not been uh, revealed to me yet.
2: Okay, and then while they're there during that development program, they get to work with the T three I developers. Do you,
3: uh, you happen to know any
2: of those guys? We've been trying to get those guys on I, I here do. for a little bit. I, I, well, I
3: don't. I don't think. I don't think T three I. I think it's just done at the training wing. I don't think it's through T three I. Okay. Yeah, Got it. Yeah, but uh, our our prior service guys do work with T three I prior to uh, and I see what you tried to do there, and then, uh, <laughs> but um, but the, our the retrainees. The people in the Air Force don't have access. I think it's the way their contract is written. I don't think they have access to, to use that resource.
2: Okay. And I know one of the other initiatives that we've started to do is that we've started bringing in civilians, especially for the, you know, the Crow-Stow um, selections mm-hmm. and assessments. Do you see that happening? Is, is that a thing on the enlisted side? Are we going to open it up for civilians to come try their hand at this? To um, so you can come to a like phase two first? Yeah, absolutely. Mean, so the, the crows and the stoves uh, have opened it up to s- having straight up civilians yeah. to come in. Right. Yeah.
3: yeah that's I, I manage that
2: program. So um, <laughs> Good. But, I'm telling you about the program that you make <laughs> up. Great. Yeah. Perfect. So, if you need uh, me, I'm going to be over here effing myself because yeah. that was a terrible, <laughs> no, terrible
3: I mean, lead in. So <laughs> the, the civilians who come in to be stows, crows, attack the officers, you know, they utilize the same process as prior service. Too. They go through T3I but we we sponsor them as an e3 to come out to phase two so they're not just coming as a straight civilian they're actually coming in as a paid e3 to, to phase two selection for stow and crow uh with our civilians who are coming in enlisted that's why they have the development because we don't send them through phase two because they're getting prepped our, our stow crow candidates where civilians don't get prepped so that's it. why they that's that's the big difference Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That that program is awesome. I,
2: I had a chance to see it, you know, kind of kind of firsthand up at uh, Spokane mm-hmm. of, of bringing some civilians in and, and watching them go through that process. And I thought that was awesome. I thought that was one of those things where maybe you do have a really high caliber uh, athlete or somebody that really wants to come try this out and, and they want a, a, a taste of, of what it's like and, and to try out beforehand. So, man, kudos to Thanks. you for getting that program. That was one of the better ideas that that you personally, but us as an organization have come up with mm-hmm. in, the, in the last yeah. little bit. So
3: good job. Yeah. This, this past year, just speaking of that, we've had, uh, we had three commission, uh, through OTS for STO, two for Crow and two for TACPO. So we've had, what is that? Nine people this year, uh, make it through that successfully Zoom.
2: completed it from civilian that's, to pickup.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And they're oh, in the that's pipeline now. Awesome. Yeah. Boy, that's so cool. nine. Yeah. So about out of a selection class, we're averaging about 30% of the selections. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Thirty percent, huh?
2: That's that's not bad. Rough average, yeah. I'd say that's way higher than the uh, the old cross training. Like, uh, I think the old cross trainees had something like an eighteen percent success rate. Like under the old (laughs) model, where they would just kind of like show up to Indoc and try their hand on it, they they weren't terribly successful um, in the old model. So it's good to hear that we're getting good gains there.
1: Yeah. I think too. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Trent. No, just with, with with the old model. Uh, one of the problems we had was that the, the cross training showing up and not being the person we needed them to be, and then they they'd take the you know the the rest of the young airmen with them when they quit or did something stupid or got them into trouble. It was it was a bad situation all the way around.
0: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> hey, what is the best way to contact you? Because um, you know we anytime somebody wants direct contact with you, I just kind of. I may have an old signature block or whatever um, and I just copy and paste it. And I know with COVID it has affected some of the sores. It's probably affected you as well. So what, do, what would how do you recommend give people my, contacting you?
3: I'm going to give my gal email because the, the org box that I've used is that some connectivity issues and with me being assigned to it and whatnot. So uh, they can reach me at michael.gan.1 at us.af.mil. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I've got a... I got a work phone, so I am always in contact with email through that. My org box, the three thirtieth org box that I use is hit or miss. So I've I've got some people who have given out that email address and I, I really don't care if you give it to me or not, or you give it out or not. So it's Michael M I C H A E L dot G-A-N-N, dot the number one at US dot AF dot mil. That's the best way to reach me.
2: Awesome. We'll get that on we'll we'll put that on all the links and stuff and, and make sure yeah. that people have it. Because we do have questions. Like people, you're obviously the subject matter expert. So obviously people want to go direct to you. But yeah, thanks for getting that out there. Yeah,
3: and if you if, if they go through their SOAR and their SOAR doesn't know the answer, they all the SOARs know how to get a hold of me. Um so just if for those watching, to say, Hey, the SOAR happens to say, Hey, well, I'm not really sure if they're a new SOR or whatever, just say, Hey, get a hold of Sergeant Dan.
1: So just tell them to get a hold of me and then somebody in their flight or their flight chief will know how to get a hold of me. That's that's perfect. So, unless we have any save rounds, I think we're going to wrap up. We're good. Hey, Matt, really, thanks for coming on. It's always we get a ton of these questions about cross training, retraining, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, we we try to give out the best advice that we have. Uh, but obviously, based on today's conversations, we're not always the subject matter experts on on the processes and everything like that. So, <laughs> that's, that's so especially pages, <laughs> that's putting it I'm I'm feeling good today, uh, but just to, to put it all in perspective, if you're retraining and you're in the air force uh, you need to get that paperwork in and then we're going to let you know, uh, go no go for the, the phase two. And that paperwork is super important. If you're out there on the streets as uh, coming from your sister service or whatever else uh, do your research, we're going to hook you up um, before you reach out to like us. I, I and I, I just want to say if you hit ones ready up with a question, I kind of want to see like a list of everything that you've tried to do before you reached out to us and we, put you in touch with someone else. Um, but the, the information is out there. Reach out to S- uh, Sergeant Gann. Uh, reach out to your recruiters. Reach out to your MPS. Reach out to all those people. I think that's the number one uh, word of advice is those are the resources that have the answers for you. Uh, you know, Trent Segmiller probably doesn't have those answers for you. And I'm going to do exactly what you should have done in the first place. And I'm going to go to those people and find the answer and then, you know, have a sour taste in my mouth about your uh, competence. Um, <laughs> As far as uh, I said, it was nice. Uh, As far as physical prep goes, I think the one thing I would say uh, before we wrap this up is you need to be your own cadre. If you're retraining or you're coming from a sister service and you're already like the NCO level person, um, you're not trying to hit the minimums. You need to, in your head, have that cadre voice. Like you've heard all the stories from us, we joke around a little bit, but understand that when you get there, when you get on team, when you're at ANS or whatever it is, Uh, that we're not playing games you have to hit the standards exceed the standards and also show that leadership ability Uh, so and and you're you're an extension of the cadre at that point we expect more out of you so be your own cadre up front be uh, very disciplined and and hard on yourself about your your form and your physicality and and be honest with yourself about where you are and where you are not Um, so i think that kind of wraps up everything here Appreciate y'all listening. Uh, As always, um, we have our our, our affiliates, the companies that we we work with. Go on our website, onesreader.com. Get yourself a sweet discount and all that kind of stuff. And last thing is uh, train hard, earn each breath. Brother, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Train hard, everybody. Man,
2: another one in the books. Another one. Another one.